0: Welcome to the Jammin' With podcast, hosted by Olympic athlete Fran Hassel and the folks over at Jam Staffing, the leading recruiter of tech staff in the Austin area. Each episode, we sit down with some of the most ambitious and interesting people to work in the tech scene to discuss their life, career, and their views on what is happening in the world of technology. So let's see who we're jamming with today. Hi, everyone. It's Jam Staffing's resident Olympian, Fran Hassel, here giving you your weekly insight into the backgrounds, businesses, and mindsets of the tech scene's most exciting talent. This week, we have the pleasure of jamming with Ed Van Ruyen. Ed's path originally was to practice law, but he saw a gap in the market, which led him to found his own tech-driven platform, which he grew into a global industry leader. He's now the brains behind Teacup, which uses CoinAge technology to improve people's well-being in a measurable and sustainable way. I'm really looking forward to hearing about Ed's journey, the whys and hows behind founding, selling and setting up again, the drivers behind his company and why wellbeing is so important to a
1: company's success.
0: Hi Ed, thank you
1: for joining me today. Uh, very welcome friend. thanks for having me on. So. I suppose the
0: best place to start and the first place to start would be your background. You're from South Africa, South African, and you studied law. Talk me through that and then your journey over to the UK, what that looks like for you.
1: Yeah, thanks. Well, it started off, I uh, my mum was a lawyer, so I grew up um, sort of spending a lots, lot of time in law firms, loved it. But before I studied law, so I finished, you know, sort of what's the equivalent of A-level over here in South Africa. Um, and then I I decided that I just wanted to make some money. You know, I decided the idea of becoming a poor student wasn't for me. So I actually joined a family business um, initially for some pocket money, and then my cousin and I started a a, a business that was in the diesel and automotive industry, uh, which okay. I knew nothing nothing about. Um, so I, I worked in that for a couple of years, and that grew, and that was called Van Royen Diesel, became VRD, um, and then. I watched too much Ali McBeal, I think, and thought <laughs> actually I, I really, I really want to be a lawyer. Um, so I sold my my part of the business back to him. Um, he bought me out, and then that was enough for me to sort of study law in South Africa. So two years later, I joined as a mature student, although that sounds ridiculous now, being you know twenty years old and being a mature student. Um, yeah, and then sort of finished my law degree and then qualified over there as a lawyer, um, which was which was fun. But during that, I also played some rugby uh, for university, Uh, really enjoyed my time as a student. Um, And I I sort of started working in a law firm in South Africa, um, right in the middle between two cities, the cities being Johannesburg and the other one being Pretoria. And as a junior lawyer, I was earning very little money. Uh, And um, I think my salary was pretty much almost only paying for uh, fuel to go backwards and forwards as I was going to court. So I then had an opportunity to come to England uh, sort of two year gap year. And the plan really was just to come over, play a little bit of rugby, make some money, uh, go back to uh, South Africa, practice as a lawyer, maybe buy a car, deposit for a house. And yeah, you know, uh, that, that was the plan.
0: But then you ended up staying over here. So what made you stay? What made you stay in the UK?
1: Yeah, so again, sort of linked to, linked to rugby. I started playing rugby in London <clears throat> and then got injured. Um, almost did my Crucial Ligaments in the first, first I think, two weeks um, of playing. Uh, and then, then sort of thought, okay, what's plan B? And I sort of looked for any job. You know, it's, um, and I guess this is a sort of lesson I learned, a little bit as an entrepreneur, the old, you eat what you kill. You know, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't earn any money, you can't eat. And I literally was over here and I had about 300 pounds or something like that in my pocket. And I thought, well, I just need to find a job. So I found a job um, in Norwich of all places, in Norfolk, um, working in a hotel. And uh, so I, I thought that will do, you know. And I remember the interview with the, uh, the the sort of owner of the hotel, he was like, you know, can you cook? I was like, yeah, I can cook. Fingers <laughs> crossed, you know, boiling <laughs> eggs is cooking, isn't it? You know, a can of tuna um, on toast, beans on toast, that's all cooking. And he said, can you clean? I said, I can definitely clean. Can you do gardening? Yeah, a little bit of gardening, you know. I mowed the lawn a few times as a kid. Of course I can do this. So uh, I ended up on a train to Norfolk, having no idea where it was. And then I worked in this hotel for um, a couple of months. What then happened was uh, the, there was a touring team that stayed, that played rugby, uh, Norwich Rugby Club. And they stayed and they, I think they thrashed Norwich, is the, is the story. And they then called the chairman and said, Look, you know, you should, your, your front rows, you know, your rugby are not very good, but there's a guy in this hotel who played rugby in South Africa. And, you know, maybe just give him a shout. Maybe he'll play for you. And it just so happened that the chairman of the rugby club was also a solicitor. Um, so he called and said, You know, what are you up to? And he turned up uninvited, you know, at the hotel, and, and we had a chat and almost a job interview which I didn't know at the time and and the only condition was can you play rugby and you know then maybe I'll give you a training contract as a lawyer and it's like okay yeah I can do that, and that was, um... that's
0: such a like a coincidence of events isn't it because when you think yeah. about somebody going into law and studying law I think that you go straight out of your degree to try and get a training contract so you embed yourself either yeah. in a, like work experience role in a law firm or you're kind of Doing paralegal work and then you kind of build your way up to the training contract but like you've gone a sporting route down it which is actually really interesting to hear that your sport is linked into ultimately what you studied to do
1: yeah it was and and you know and, and um the guy was really good and you know like i said you know i, I sort of then played rugby did my training contract loved it um, but I did sort of not great not a great part of the law, a little bit of ambulance chasing, I think is what it's called, claim the claims. Um, and we were we were making lots of claims against insurers. And this is, I guess, where my my sort of intro into the tech world came in, because as a you know, as a sort of glorified pen pusher, I I was you know astonished how much inefficiencies there were, you know, with just basic, basic things like you know were documents signed for example were they dated and so on um and a, and a friend of myself and one of the guys in the rugby team was that quite an it guy and we got chatting about what we were doing and he was always taking the mick out of me about just being a pen pusher you know anybody can do the job and he was probably right um and he basically said look why um you know we i can automate a lot of that stuff so it's like yeah actually can you and it's like yeah yeah definitely you know we can we can build technology that can check if something's scanned we can extract data to see if documents were dated and so on you know as a as a very basic and i sort of spoke to the law firm at the time and they were you know fair to say not that interested in uh, bringing huge efficiencies because if you pay if you get paid by the hour then there's not a huge drive to necessarily get more efficient so i was a little bit despondent after my chat with them and did what any lawyer or sportsman did is, you know, went to a restaurant and ordered, a, you know, good food and a couple of bottles of wine um, with actually one of the partners of the law firm. And I sort of mentioned to him, you know, this wasn't quite Alimabil. It wasn't quite how I saw it. I'm not going to lie to you. you know, it, was, it was quite different um, to, to what I envisaged and, you know, that I was probably going to go back to South Africa because you know and practice law over there. And there was a comment made around, well, actually, you know, it's a real shame walking away from from the industry knowing as much because w- we, what we uncovered was a lot of, you know, how how to perhaps not behave as a, as a claimant industry. There was lots of fraud, lots of exacerbation in terms of claims inflation, which we saw firsthand. Um, and and it's like, well, you know, if you build a system, why don't you build a system to help insurers and banks defend these cases? And especially if you bring your IT friend with, you know, we can we can set up a consultancy that do this. And that's then when we started a business which um, was called validus and it was called this Latin for validation, basically. Um not, not uh, you know, and, and yeah, basically was set up to help insurers defend claims, poachers and Gamekeeper.
0: That's like really interesting. So what so set you just were basically you had this idea, you saw that there was a need for it in the market you'd already obviously set up your business in south africa before so you knew how to sell business what goes into setting up a business but you kind of left a job that was i suppose well paid good career path to go set up on your own like what were you thinking around that time was it literally just i they're not listening to this idea i think it's a great idea i'm going to roll with it (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i think so i mean i think any in, a, in an entrepreneur, there's always this sense of chasing, you know, there's always the sense of excitement. And and what I've always you know felt in my career that if I'm excited about something, I'm really passionate about it. And if it, it really drives me. So I wasn't about, you know, doing doing the, the job I was was really boring me. So um, and and really what I had, and I guess one of the lessons I, I learned in hindsight, you know, yes, the more you have, the more you have to lose. And at the time I was just, you know, junior qualified lawyer. I wasn't earning that much money. I could go back to South Africa and actually with a South African, at the time I had to do some studies. So I was sort of qualified over here. Um, I would have been quite, you know, I, I would have thought that I would have got a job quite easy. So I didn't feel that it was a huge risk uh, no. in hindsight, but, um, you know, the, the excitement of, of doing something and also uh, you know, and I think this is where I'm today, making a difference. You know, we did see a lot of fraud and a lot of bad behaviour. And it was actually quite nice to think, actually, we can help some of this stuff. We can make a difference, which was a big part of the drive.
0: So the drive was making a difference. And how long, how long were you doing that for then? Like, what was, the, what was the situation that made you move on from that to what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, so that, that was quite a journey. That was, took about 12 years. So we, we started a business in 2007. Um, And initially, we just had a view of maybe a small consultancy, um, about maybe 20, 25 lawyers working with tech, working just much more efficient. And then the financial crisis in 2008 hit, and a lot of our potential customers were banks, uh, and they had to save a lot of money. So absolutely right time, right place. So that business grew from 25 people to over 200 people in a very, very short space of time. Um, And... Luckily we had technology to scale, which was brilliant. So, you know, bringing on um, trained, uh, you know, lawyers wasn't necessarily a requisite. We just needed people who were good negotiators and understood, you know, following the process. So, so that grew really well. We had, uh, we brought an investment, we had private equity. Um, Two of the early uh, shareholders in that business um, wanted to exit, so we got, um, funding to to pay them out, do a management buyout. So yeah, so basically, and that business just grew successfully to you know the place where we had offices in Australia, South Africa, uh, you know, multiple offices in the UK, uh, and we were doing you know millions of claims, analysing millions of claims uh, for banks and insurers. And and yeah, basically, it was a really sought-after business. You know, we had the usual ups and downs, but it kept on growing successfully year after year. And then we were bought out by a large American business, you know, several billion pound turnover business. I think they employ 7,000 people. They loved what we did. They wanted the business, so they bought it pretty much with cash in 2018. Um, so did you always to wanted
0: to scale it or did you just start out thinking, yeah, no, this is just a need in the market or were you always at that time thinking, yeah, I want to scale this up to make it as international yeah.
1: as possible? Oh. Yeah, going back to my early days of my cousin, you know, I think I always had the view that the only way to really make money is to buy, build a business. This was, I'm not saying this is right, by the way, but um, build a business and sell it because that's the way you can get a chunk of cash because I think what people tend to do as they earn more is their lifestyle, their costs just go up. You know, they buy a bigger house, bigger car, their expenses go up. So I, from day one, thought, and I still, I guess, had a view of going back to South Africa. So it wasn't a long-term vision. It was a, let's build this up into something and maybe i'll get bought out or, or whatever but yeah it was always always created to be sold and and when we did the investment round of the private equity uh, they invested about 12 million pounds in the middle of that journey then we were absolutely on the treadmill to be bought you'd be sold in you know, a private equity once they so invest. did you
0: have like a get out point that you knew in your mind i want to get out at this point
1: yeah, I think I did. Um, things don't always plan that way though. Um, what happened in that business is I probably would have loved to, when we did the private equity round, to exit the business then, but I was quite key to the process and to the customers. So, um, that you made was yourself just, uh, too integral. <laughs> yeah, that was a big problem. So, um so yeah that in my mind that would have been the point at, at least in time and then we did be around then with you know contractually i was properly locked in so i was from that point onwards i made sure i did everything i could to make myself probably you know uh, redundant in in the best possible way which i think is is the way to lead to run a business you know i think because what you do by making yourself redundant is you empower others and i think when you empower others And you can show them, you know, and you you truly empower them, that means you have to trust them and that means you get the right people and you have to put the right structures in place. And I think actually that was a lesson I learned in hindsight. Uh, And if I look at what I do now, that's how I, I run a business now. You know, I don't try and be, I think a lot of entrepreneurs love the buzz initially of being the CEO or being the MD and the title and all the glory that comes with that. But I think, and that's fine if it, you know, if that's what they want. But I think if you want to sell a business, you have to show to an investor that if you take, you know, I think the the older term is if you've under the proverbial bus, you know, where does the business sit? And the reality is the business needs to run without you. And to do that, you have to really trust your team. So as
0: you were wanting to come out of business, was it then that you came up with the idea of teacup? Or was it something that you finished, drew a line under and Started afterwards, or was it something that you'd already
1: thought there's a need for this? No, it was completely, completely organic how that happened. I had no idea what I was going to do after I sold the other business. Um, initially, I thought of staying, and then um, I always say to people, you know, when you sell your car, you can't argue about how people drive it, and and the <laughs> new owner will have their own way of driving the car, and you have to be happy with that. So, um, but you don't have to be a passenger. So I, I sort of uh, gracefully exited from that, and then. Um, And then I was just, I guess, sort of floating, you know, around a little bit. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted. And I wasn't the happiest either, which really surprised me, um, because I was incredibly driven with my previous business and, you know, I'd I'd invested so much. And one of my good friends, really close friend, is an ex-international rugby player and and former British line, Lee Mears. And Mears, you know, he's only a four foot tall, but he's very persistent and very... uh, constant and you know we were having lots of drink coffee you know meet up for coffees really and he was always saying to me look come on what are you going to do and I said to him you know what? I don't know me is I just want to be healthy happy and successful that is what I want out of life and when I look back and actually selling the business and when I exited it was the first time I actually stopped to reflect about life you know I have a, a young daughter and that was the first time you know when you push really hard in business it's easy to make that excuse of you know i can't be home tonight because i'm working but remember i'm doing this for us and i'm not sure that's always the case but sometimes you can't you can't get out of some things and you have to push hard and other times it's an easy it's an easy out or maybe it's just a habit but when i stopped i thought well actually i'm, I'm not actually happy and my health had deteriorated you know i didn't be going to the gym as much and you know going out with clients you know you drink and and, and socialize a lot so um so when I stopped, I actually realised I wasn't that happy, and and I also then started probably resenting a little bit my journey through through my um, through my time that eleven years in that business because I I basically thought you know even though financially it was amazing and you know it, it's far outweighed in my wildest dreams what I ever thought we'd achieve in terms of selling the business um, you know I thought that the reward about lost holidays, for example, that I cancelled to go to South Africa. I, you can't turn back the clock and nor are people in your life there anymore. You know, people like my mom had passed away. So I literally can't have that again. I can't now say, oh, I can now fly first class and we can go to some City and spend two weeks. Well, you know, she's not there. So I started feeling quite resentful around around the whole thing. Um, and that was when I said to me, I want to be healthy, happy and successful. And, and I guess Lee, from a sports perspective, you know, he's always, if you're not assessing, you're guessing, it's like, well, how do you measure that? How do we measure that? How do you, how do you know if you're healthy, happy and successful? And I was like, well, actually, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure with tech, we can build this. Um, and I think people need it because the amount of times you, you go on social media and you, you read, oh, if Steve Jobs, you know, could have his time again, he'd spend more time doing this. And, you know, you re- everybody reads those things I thought well you know the world needs a bit of this we need it we need more we need to create a a way for people just to stop and reflect and ask themselves what they want before they end up on their deathbed and said I regret not having done more of this. Um, And
0: I think that that's a really good point as well that sports people probably go through a similar thing as you did coming out of your business you've been really successful they always say that people that win Olympic medals it's like okay that's done now but It's done. What do I do next? That, it was great for that one minute, but everything after that one minute, it's always going back down the other way. So if you build your happiness around this one success, then it's, it's going to end. And you, like, you can't base your happiness on one thing. And I think I was in exactly the same position when I finished swimming, that I was like resented the fact that I hadn't that I I don't know I'd had a great career a 10-year career at the top of a really hard sport but when I came out of it I was like I miss doing this miss doing that miss doing the other and it probably sent me the other way too far so I wasn't balanced I didn't have any like Thoughts about well-being. I was going out loads with my friends, saying yes to absolutely everything, and running myself into the ground because I hadn't done that or had that opportunity when I was an athlete, and I resented that fact. So that's a really like interesting point. And what well, you only do that through reflection, don't you? Really, like it's hard to do that when you're in that bubble of working really hard every day, knowing that you've got a goal to succeed on. It's it's really hard to step back and go, actually, no, this is. A different way might be better for me
1: as a whole person. That's right Fran I think you know the only time people really stop is when something happens and not always something good necessarily. Um, you know when when somebody dies for example and everybody gets together as I've not seen you in ages you know and we should make more time you you start you know questioning the purpose of life all those things when you see people around you not being there anymore and then but then, too, it's too easy to fall back into the way we just carried on with our previous lives. Um, and this was really interesting because when I then, even before I started um, Teacup, I then w- with Lee, I was then asked all the time by you know aspiring um, entrepreneurs around, "Come and give us the magic formula," because having gone through that journey, um, that was my third time. They were like, "You must know something," you know, around how to start a business, how to scale a business, how to fund a business, all those sort of things. And, you know, there are so many experts out there that are much better me at me at any one of those things. And, and you know, persistence is, is important and resilience is important and all those things. Great team. We talked about that already. But the one thing I, I see, say to all of these entrepreneurs is, you know, look after yourself because you have absolutely multiple shots at, at a business, but you only have one shot at life. And whenever I speak to them and I, and I do, you know, try and spend a lot of time giving back to, you know, spending time with young and young, young old entrepreneurs, you know, I always say to them, what are you doing about yourself? How's your relationships doing? You know, how are you spending time with your family? Are you looking after your health? And they almost look at me as in, is that a true question? You know, um, you know, maybe looking, some of them look at me to help, you know, invest in their businesses. And, they, and, and I love doing that. Cause I, I just love to see businesses grow. I love the idea of a or I love seeing an idea become something and then grow something in that first sale is, is maybe that, that medal you talk about. And, and I, and I speak to entrepreneurs and I say, enjoy that because seriously, from that point onwards, the next one isn't just another client. You know, that first one is really special. That time when you see your prototype for the first time, it doesn't matter if it's a service or an actual product. The first time you sell that coffee, that's a real moment of, of joy because, you know, the, the pain and, effort and in terms of the branding and the choosing you know the product and all that stuff that's so exciting from that point onwards every other one is just a coffee and and but people don't enjoy that because they think actually the only the only time you get to validate it the only time that it becomes interesting is is when you sell it and actually that is a bit of an anticlimax having done that a few times you know yes it's great and the first time it's quite funny when we sold when we did the investment in 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 the business you know some of the guys were leaving and and one of them sent me um, a text with an oasis on i don't even like oasis that much um but from in manchester i can't say that sorry i love them and it was then live back in anger and they were a bit annoyed at me because they were i, I was annoyed with them because they were exiting the business and then i like, don't live back in anger enjoyed the journey and i, I time thought you this guy's just taking the you know he's taking a mickey you know he's just walks away with a few million I'm still stuck in this business carrying the can, And he's just <laughs> sent me a text and then look back in anger. And I think he was, but he was right because, you know that that moment was actually the first big deal I did and I should have enjoyed it. But I was already looking at how do I turn, you know, private equity is very simple. You know, if they invest a million they want 3 million plus, you know so you have to you have to push hard. And I was already thinking about the three not about the fact that, you know, I de-risked a little bit, took some money off the table. Some of my friends had made a lot of money. It was validation for our product that we started five years ago that a bank wanted to come in and invest. You know, I was really focused on the next deal. And I think that is, that's a bit sad. So that's my mission now is getting people to stop, reflect, enjoy the journey because, you know, the the the, the, the output isn't always that amazing. You know, sometimes the journey is just as good.
0: So true. So that is the inspiration behind Teacup then. So- Talk us through T-Cup, what it does, how it works,
1: what it's offering. Okay. It's <laughs> yeah, amazing. So, so, coming back to mind, Lee, we, want to, we want, want to measure health, happiness, and success. But what does a lawyer and an exportsman know about really what, what you know, how do you measure health, happiness, and success? So, we turned to academics, um, people who knew a lot more about us. We then actually, and, and Bath University were were quite good helping us and, and gave us some resource uh, to do some research. And, and they then actually highlighted to us that what we were in essence trying to, to measure was well-being, because the World Health Organization's definition loosely of well-being is to lead a healthy life, uh, happily contributing to society, you know, towards a successful life, basically. I'm I'm making I'm not a, don't quote me on that, but that's where it comes <laughs> down to. And um, so we, we set off to basically deconstruct what health meant, what happiness meant, what success meant. And we tried to build a reflective practice that got people to every day just, you know, check into themselves on those areas. So just in simple terms, if I say to you, you know we, when we look at health, we ask people to reflect on what they ate, their diet, what they drank, their hydration and how active they were. But critically where we think we do things differently is there's lots of things out there that you can measure your calories or your activity your steps and i guess as an ex-athlete you know this very very well much better than me um but what we felt was missing is how did you feel you know how do you feel um how, how active did you feel you were for example you know so so um you know we talk a lot about needs you know non-exercise activity you know, even if you're just playing with the kids, that could be quite active. Um, that's, but then bring a, a very holistic way towards it. So if you were more active, were you happier? If your diet was better, you know, did you sleep better, for example? Um, if your hydration was better, did you feel less or more stressed? It's, and so it's bringing, it's bringing a, a tool, and this is really where the technology is, is critical, where it can build uh, a profile of people when they answer their questions, daily on or through, through reflection, how was your diet? How did you sleep? How are your relationships? How worried are you about money? It then starts building a picture of you. So it's a mirror of, of you so that you can start looking back and say, well, actually, I'm not doing that great at the moment. Um, but I can then start the app can then or the technology can then start highlighting to you where you're perhaps, you know, doing less well or where you're smashing it. So that if you're smashing things and you're doing well, you can say, well, actually, yeah, I am. I am drinking more water, and I am actually my sleep has improved, and lo and behold, my relationships improved, and my stress is down. But where, where, as through our research um, and as an individual practice tool, this is amazing. But what the university pointed out, which is quite obvious, um, and as entrepreneurs we should know this—you know—you spend at least a third of your life at work, and um, unless you factor that in and you give your your you know work or your employer your team. A view of how the team is doing then there's lots of things that happen at work that can mean they can impact your well-being you know and we see this usually through teacup you know if you have the old expression in, in in business you know bad boss it's a bad life it's quite true you know if they if they make your life hard and they they're not very kind then that will impact your your work some or your your well-being um so what we then do We sort of then change the model slightly to say, well, whilst it's a a practice tool for individuals, what we can do is we can aggregate the data and provide an anonymous view of that data to organizations so that they can start tracking about, you know, how their teams in real time are doing, you know, our team is team A more stressed than team B. Is there one location that's, you know, doing better than other teams, really just to help understand, you know, where the pressures are. So, uh, and then for them to really, you know, intervene really in in a really soft way, I guess is the, is the answer and then, and then track if they are doing something about it, the impact. So- It had so to take a,
0: like, I think in the UK, like we're very much, a lot of people, a lot of businesses are like, the harder you work, the more hours you put in, like the more you're gonna achieve. Has it been hard to change the mindset of organizations to embrace what you're
1: offering i think it's it is tough and it's p- particularly tough at the moment because you know we actually hold a few webinars and the one quote we bring up is the harder i work the lucky i get from gary player the golf player and and we say to people and then the next slide we ask well how many of you have heard the harder i work the lucky i get and how do we interpret that in today's climate is you know if i work hard and i work a little bit harder then actually everything will be okay. Now the reality is that is not true. And and what we try and get organizations to understand is that you know Gary Player when he made that quote working hard for him was working hard on all aspects of his life. So not just playing golf, you know, relationships, his diet, he talks about how he stretched and and how he interacted with you know relationships with young people to keep him young. And he did you know i think he's been married for 70 years so he's invested in a very you know holistic view of his life and still still won pretty much every golf tournament and did the majors and everything else so what what we try and prove to businesses is actually invest in your people's well-being and you'll give that back in spades and and i guess our slogan is you know put human performance drives business performance but we also um, I've heard a few, you know, "there's practice what you preach" or "eat your own dog food." Somebody said the other day, which I'm not sure that sounds quite right. But um, as a dog owner, I'm not sure I want to eat my own dog food. But um, but what we do at Teacup is we we only work four days a week, but we employ people for five days a week, and and we can prove beyond any doubt through the data, um, which is you know you know analytical data, quantitative or qualitative. If we if we do you know if we speak to any of our people that that ultimately investing time you know giving people time back paid time back crucially to invest in themselves you know drives they, their business performance so much more to the point where you know we get more done in four days than more than businesses do in five and and it should be so obvious because we, everybody talks about work-life balance and I, said, you know, and, I, and I challenged that and I said, well, how can a five, two, five working days and two a weekend, two uh, days off on a weekend, be a balance? Even if you add 20 or 25 days holiday, that's still not a balance. You know, for, for things to be to be balanced, it's got to be closer towards 50-50 splits. Otherwise, by virtue of the whole statement, it's not balanced. Um, and I, you know, so I challenge businesses all the time and, and it's really encouraging to see businesses moving towards that. Which is a real shift in in their thinking, but but I guess you know one of, one of our visions for Teacup is to change you know ultimately change businesses perception and and I think CEOs and you know are changing and business leaders are changing and but they still want data and I think this is what we have which which I think previously didn't exist you know there's always been talks of Sweden going to Ford a four day week or, or whatever but I think we can now start proving that look this is where um, you know, we were performing on a five-day week, and this is where we perform on a four-day week. And and we also see it through data, you know, thousands and thousands of people. If there's a bank holiday, for example, we can see how people's ambition following the bank holiday is much higher on a global sense, you know, thousands of users compared to when there's no bank holiday. Now, you know it doesn't take you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know if you have some drive and you've got ambition and you feel more rested you will be a better employee you will be more productive you will be happier and a happy employee is a productive employee you know that is that is proven um so yeah
0: so yeah i agree with that 100 percent. and when we when i was a league sports person we did daily monitoring of everything and i'm interested to know how businesses are your clients use the data in a productive way for their staff because for me when I was doing my daily well-being every day there was like two things that I struggled with and one was if I put my markers being that I was having a bad day I felt like crap things going well and nobody addressed it with me that like wound me up off the clock for two reasons because I'm like irritated anyway and then the second one is why is no one giving me the attention when I've been I mean, filled in the app so they should know? <laughs> so that irritated me. And then the second one was getting my head around the fact that it's okay to, and just breathe and that I can have a day and take it off, go easier, rather than have my head down and plough through. How do? What's the advice that you give to your clients of how to extract the data and how to use it?
1: Yeah, so, so the data itself is completely you know quite intuitive you know it's it's very visual it we 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 actually look at it as providing insights rather than just data than stats you know it's very visual and it will it will highlight clearly where there are you know teams that are you know thriving or potentially where teams need a little bit of work but one of the things we do and we we stick to this is because we believe for the longevity of the contract it's crucial that if a business want to work with us just as a tick box tick boxing exercise. Oh, I need to do some well-being stuff. Let's get teacup Cup in, let's pay them some money and we can tick that box tick for you know compliance perspective. We're doing it, then we're just not interested. So we've we've actually, you know, I'd say for about a dozen or so companies where we've gone down the path understanding what they want to do, how they want to do it. And it's not so much what they say is how they want to implement it. What we want organizations to do is to put you know, every, if you really see a report, most businesses say people are at the heart of what we do. Yet, when they measure things, they measure productivity, they measure performance, EBITDAs, blah, blah, blah. They, don't, they never talk about people measures. So we provide that data and we ask them to put that at the heart. You know, if you have dashboards or intranets in your workplace or on your, on your screens, put your stats up there. They, you know, it's all real-time data. It's very friendly, soft in the eye. Shows how the team's well-being are doing, and that that addresses that whole. Actually, all are a little bit down today. Um, I can see our progress is is showing. You know, we're trending down on, on happiness. Oh, I'm not alone, and that then opens the dialogue for people to say, "So, how are you doing? You know, what's we call it blend between happiness, health, and success? What's your blend like? What's your cup looking like?" And that is a really soft introduction. But if organizations say, "Yeah, yeah, we get that, but we're not going to do all of that, and you know, just come and get install it and get people to use it," and it's clear they don't actually want to act on it, then we just say, "You know what? It's just not fast Because people will get disheartened. They will feel that you know what, you're just being disingenuous here. Um, I'm answering up. I'm answering questions. Uh, I'm giving you some feedback. Yes, the technology helps me as well, but what's the point if you're not going to listen? So, you know, a combination of those things is it's, important.
0: Yeah. And I I suppose I don't really want to talk about it because it seems to be there at the moment, but with what is going on in the world right now, people's mental health has definitely suffered. There's so much stats to suggest that. Mm. It's like as a company that's whole approach is well-being, what have you been doing with your team, like to deal with the chaos, to deal with what's going on? I, I assume right now what you've got in place and that everybody is on board with teacup you've seen it all you've been able to address how people are feeling quite reactively and respondently to absolute chaos in the world
1: yeah it's tough isn't it and and i think i think what we do is as teacup is a few things i mean we we talk a lot about as a team about things we can control versus things we can influence and and that's and that's through the whole fiber of the business. So if I look at it from a well-being perspective, what can you control and what can you influence? Um, you can control what you eat. You can control how much water you drink. You can control how active you are. Um, but you can't necessarily control how you sleep. You know, If you have a young daughter, if you have a you know, pet or whatever, you know, you could sleep could be disrupted. Noisy neighbors. You can't always control your mood. You can't control how you, you wake up necessarily and, and what mood you feel. But when you control what you can, which is, you know, things in your health, when other things often follow, it's a catalyst for good, um, you know, for good, good things. You know, if you if you eat well, if you drink and I'm not talking about eating like an athlete and training like an athlete, just being much more conscious about some decisions. And for us as a team, you know, we're not working, we're working from home. So one of the things we do, for example, is what we call a faux mute, a fake commute. And the definition is really. In a short, starting and ending at the same place, but getting out, you know, because because if we if we looked at our data, just using one simple example. It's so easy to just get up and put your, you know, put a smart shirt on, but leave your slippers on to get onto that zoom call and not get out and walk, whereas if you had a meeting, you would have been a bit more active. So so recognize that those things make make big differences but then also control what you can and influence what your others extends to business functions like sales. You know, you can only put your best foot forward. You can't control other companies buying you. So don't, don't have really harsh sales, um, sales targets, you know, to put the sales team under pressure, recognize that we are in the middle of a pandemic. Businesses are, you know, nervous, perhaps about what tomorrow looks like, you know, budgets are tight, et cetera. So don't put pressure on the team. Just, just get them. I keep talking to them about trusting the process. Just trust the process. Do what you can, put your bested forward, and then you know the rest will follow. And what will be will be. And then as as my job is to make sure the business is funded and we can support all of that. But that that's that's what we do from a from a teacup perspective. In addition to obviously having Fridays, we call it a WoW Day, which is working on our well-being. So everyone's I did love business, that by the
0: way. When when I got your out of office email saying you're having a wow day, I was like, yes. This is incredible. I love that.
1: It's such a good idea. <laughs> exactly, and and you know, on a personal level, that's that's been massive to me. You know, I I am just as driven, if not more, than I was in my previous businesses. You know, I've invested a lot of my own money. We've got no institutional funding in business, so you know, it means a lot on many on many fronts. But I feel much more relaxed about Teacup because I'm. You know yes we we've been blessed with growth and all the rest of it but i, I do tr- i do believe that's because we trust in the process i am taking that friday off and for me taking friday off going on long walks bike rides whatever it is um just having some me time uninterrupted means the saturday when my daughter's home from school i don't i don't feel guilty if i go on that bike ride and not spend four hours with her um you know and I and I don't need to because I've done the done that the day before. And the day before that I was active. So it's much more balanced. So it just it just takes a lot of pressure off. Um, so and then in a month that we share the data. You know, we, we do what I ch- ask and challenge businesses to do is every Monday we have a house a our, our blend. And that is really an open forum for people to have a chat around how they feel. And then we've we've also just enrolled some of the team to become mental health first aiders. Um to be sort of champions. So I think it's really important to to do things, but also recognize, I guess, two things. A one size fits all doesn't work for everybody. Um and and practice what you preach really is important, you know. If you're gonna if you're gonna have a wow day, then make sure it is a wow, yeah, day, you a wow day. Yeah, a wow day. Yeah, exactly. And and you and you recognize that you know, just being as efficient. You can't do as much in four days as you do in five days, but you can work smarter, you know? So, so again, it challenges you to look inward in the business and say, look, I can't say you and say, so we work as, as much as we did in five because we don't have the same amount of hours. We've got 20% less time. But what I can say is that, you know, we make different decisions and that's, that's part of coaching the team. to look, you know, m- is it important or is it urgent? Uh, or is it is it needed and and just make those decisions and then going and then back to my initial point empowering the team and trusting them to do the right thing
0: would you say that that is ultimately what you believe makes good leader empowering your team to be able to achieve and deliver what they need to and is that what you see when you're working with other businesses the CEOs that are on board with what you're trying to deliver are they of a similar what's What's a good
1: leader? What does a good leader look like? Yeah, I think, you know, you see all sorts of different, um, different. it's a bit like, I guess, a rugby team, all shapes and sizes, um, leaders. And I don't don't think there's a one, one is necessarily better than others. You know, I think for me, for me, it's leading by example. And leading by example is, is what, you know, when, when we do look at our, our ambitions as a business to not put, undue pressure on the team you know there's no point me saying to the sales team sales team trust the process and then putting so much pressure on them if they miss their targets you know or setting targets that's unrealistic so i think for me personally i think my learnings out of all of this and i didn't always get this right to my previous businesses at all is is empowering teams Um, that doesn't mean not not leading in a sense of being firm in terms of where we're going to go i think Fairness is really part of, of, the, of the whole process, you know, and if people aren't performing, I think yeah, it's equally important to, to, uh, to deal with that as it is handing out praise. Yeah, I think for me, empowerment and trust is a big part of it. And then, and then helping team members, you know, achieving their, their potential. And that is investing in them. Yeah, I think most of my time is spent actually just be talking to people around where do they want to go? What are they doing? What are their challenges? It's not actually about the business.
0: Love that. And yeah, I agree 100% empowering people, but then being firm on your beliefs also helps. So you're kind of keeping everybody a little bit in line and under the same umbrella and goal. But you've also, Aaron, then say, no, you run with that. I agree. That's great. It's in line with what we're doing. Perfect. I've got one last question for you because I have kept you so long, but you've obviously created some good teams. You've been really successful in business and in different businesses, different industries, law, like like tax, uh, well-being. There's like so many different industries, but and you play sport to a really high level. And as a sports person for me, when I was coming into the business world, and if I had to write a CV, it'd have to be around my transferable skills. And what can I actually give to a business that... I actually don't have any a hands-on experience of doing what you do. What would you say with the teams that you've created and what you look for and people to bring into your teams are the key core skills that make a good employee or employer, I suppose?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's, there's um, a formula, which I once read and I can't remember the formula. So I'll just have to try and explain it to you. But I think it's, it's attitude and skill uh, divided by attitude times skill divided by self-interest. And I think for me, those are the three things. So competence, I think, attitude, and then self-interest, the so selfishness. So, so you know, by, by virtue, if you take somebody's attitude and you multiply it by their competence, so 10 times 10 is 100, but they are 100% percent self you know, interested, you know, they're selfish as not a team player, then they will score one, you know, they'll score 10, I think, is the math. Um, But if they are the same, they are only 20, you know, only 50 percent competent, um, but still 10, you know, they still score really highly on on attitude, but they're not very, you know, self- interest, um, you know, selfish, then ultimately they will be a better employee. And I think that's what I look at for people. You know, I think competence is Obviously, you know, can they do the job? And I think that's important, not just from a, a perspective of can this person sell, can this person do an operational job? Can they actually code from IT perspective? Um, you know, they have to be able to do the job because otherwise they'll get frustrated themselves and they won't enjoy it themselves. But I think for me, that's not the top, you know, do you have to have gone to Oxford University and or get a first or is it two, two enough? If you have an amazing attitude and you're not, in you're selfless yes, absolutely. You know, if you've gone to Oxford university and you were the best student and you know, your attitude stinks and you are selfish, then no, thanks. You're not, in, you know, you're not coming to our company. So I think for me, that's it, you know, I, and that's why I love working with sports people. Cause I think even though any sportsman potentially sports, women want to perform like you would, you recognize the value of team. Um, if for nothing else, the value of team, you know, that if you work together as a team, you'll achieve more, you know, your interests ultimately aligned, which is the last part of my part of the equation is I need to make sure everybody's aligned. Share, you know, be very clear on the vision, even even people who are a little bit selfish and just in it for themselves, but hugely confident could still be good employees and they will still act as a good teammate if they know how we all are aligned towards the same goal. And I think that, that for me is the formula.
0: Love that. Well, thank you so much. I think that's a great place to leave it and some great advice. So thank you so much, Ed, for your time. That's been so interesting talking to you. And I would recommend anybody to get on board with tracking and monitoring their wellbeing, like from a performance perspective, as well as just the happiness perspective. I think it's It's massively important. It's only going to get more so given everything, the distractions, the world as we know it at the moment, it's just going to get more and more important. So thank you for taking your time to talk to me.
1: You're very welcome. And thanks again for having me on your show, your podcast. Thank you. Jamming With is a podcast in association
0: with Jam Staffing. Please rate and subscribe to the channel to hear more from the people shaping the Austin tech scene. And don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Remember that if you're looking for work or need to hire great people, you can reach out to us at jam-staffing.com.